everybody, welcome back for episode 24 of That Scale RC Show. I am one of your hosts, Jeremy Kendall, along with... Adam Dean. And, yeah, we are here to talk about some RC stuff with you guys. So, we don't have a guest this week. Um, we decided to address kind of a controversial topic, which is... Uh, knockoff and generic items and what the difference is between the two and how uh, they're often you know misused terms uh, for certain parts that are made overseas and so uh, we're going to address that and uh, go over some of the comments that were uh, questions and comments that were posted when we uh, put up the post explaining that this is what we were going to talk about this week so there we have it and also, I just want to make a quick announcement. I'm sorry if any kind of like weird noises or anything happened this episode. I'm now coming down with my own cold, so we might have to put myself down if it gets too bad. <laughs> so, but yeah. So, any sniffles, any of that stuff? I like I said, I could feel I I could feel it coming on. So I apologize in advance. I I think we'll be all right. I I may cough once in a while on here too. So. Yeah, I'm finally just starting to get better. This stupid thing hung on for like two weeks, and so I'm yeah. finally feeling good. So, yeah, I guess that's another thing we can just kind of touch on real quick. I mean, does anybody else get that? I mean, I seem to always get my colds around the same time. If if it's a really bad time, I usually get one um, in the summer. But my two common times that I normally get a cold is right going into fall slash winter. I always religiously get a cold then, and then I usually won't get another one till either the end of, like, going into spring, or like I said, if it's, sometimes I'll get a really bad one in summer. But otherwise, it's usually two times a year, and I'm good to go. You know, that's funny because I almost always get sick at least once a year in the fall, and I used to chalk it up to having a kid that was in school, you know, and just bringing home germs and stuff because he'd be sick and then I'd get it and everything. So I just kind of figured that was the case. But, you know, he he's since moved out and on his own. And sure enough, you know, and the, the crazy part is, is it's like with work, having the shop here at the house, you know, working from home, I, I don't really go out that much. So I have absolutely no idea how I even caught the thing. It was just really strange. But, yeah, like fall time for me is like it's almost – religiously every year you know oh yeah and uh it was actually funny that i'm getting it now because uh what was it not la not last weekend but the weekend before so the week leading up to crawl for a cure i was working like a dog i was crawling underneath houses pulling wire i mean i w i ran myself ragged and then i had to get up early saturday morning and go to that i felt like crap the whole drive going there i was like I'm going to get sick from this. I could just feel it. And then I was shocked. I, I got back from the event, passed out, woke up the next day, and, dude, I was like a new person. And I was like, man, I said, I'm shocked. And then, of course, now, you know, week and a half later. <laughs> yeah, sure enough. So, but any. So I've, I've actually, you know, before we get into the whole generic thing and stuff, I, so obviously like a hot thing uh, that's been going on right now is the axial capra you know there's yes. groups popping up over facebook um you have one for yourself personally and then i've got one for work um that i'm putting together and 
I see a lot of people that'll do something goofy building it and then they'll post like, man, I'm so disappointed in this thing. And like, the, you know, I, it's weird because I mean, I get the whole, like, it's fun to tinker and, you know, tweak on stuff and, you know, see if you can tune something and get it to perform, you know, the best that it can. But like, I'm seeing people doing like different link mounts and stuff. And my question for that is it's like, you know, and maybe this is something the listeners can answer for me, but I mean, I know myself, like, I don't feel like I'm smarter than the engineers that build this stuff, you know, cause I mean, these people have been doing it for years and years and they understand, you know, the geometry and physics of how all this stuff works. And it's just weird to me to see somebody that's just like, you know, your average Joe go and like start changing stuff on it when, you know, it's like a brand new rig and everything and like, oh, this needs to be different. And like a, a really good example, like I get the appeal of guys putting Vanquish portals on these. Um, you know, you're going to get a lot of weight down low and, you know, they, they look good on the rig. But the link mounts are all completely different between the Capra axles and the VP slash SCX-102 axles. And so none of the geometry is going to be the same. It's like, it, it, I, I would think that would concern somebody, you know. I mean, there's guys that are just going ahead and doing it, and I have no idea how they're working or, you know, what they can really compare it to anyways. But... It's just kind of, kind of a strange thing to me, you know. Like I, I just, I guess I wouldn't be super eager to go and like start changing everything about how the rig works just right off the bat like that. Because I think what it, in my opinion, it's I think they want to be like, oh, I want to be the first to do this, like, cause, cause I'm not gonna lie, like there was something I wanted to do and I was hoping I was gonna be the first to do it, but clear, you know, Axial, well, some of the people at Axial already thought of it, you know, Rich released it before um, I even could get my hands on a Capra, but as soon as I saw the Capra, I said, oh, I want to do rear steer, I think that'd be cool, like you know, like put a rear steer in that, just like some of the real one to one, you know, We Rock buggies, right? And then all of a sudden you see Rich do it, and I'm just like, oh well um okay well there goes that you know like i mean i'm still doing it but i'm saying like i kind of was like motivated like oh i want to get this out and be like the first one to do it because i think it'd be kind of cool but now that it's becoming you know more of a popular thing it's like you know so what i think some of it comes from is like that mentality like i had going oh i want to be the first person to put you know ar60s underneath it i want to be the first person to put ar44s i want to be the first person to put you know curry rock jocks under it or i want to be the first person to put you know vanquish portals like you know i just think it's something that somebody wants to do just to be different and i don't think they realize you know the the like you said the link mounts are in different locations so i mean yeah it might hinder some performance because i think Gene already said that because oh, Gene, Gene did it. Gene was one of the first ones I saw. Gene Boyd, he was one of the first people I saw do the uh, Vanquish Curry por- uh, portals or the F9 portals on his. And he did say at ride height it was fine. He said at extreme articulation, I think he said he had a weird bind. And he said he had a. I think he said he had to change rod end styles, like because you know how like you can get the like axials notorious for this, like they're not all just straight rod ends. Yeah. 
you know, some of them are bent one way, some of them are angled down, some of them are, you know, whatever. Right, exactly. She had to change some of those around to get it to work properly, if I'm not mistaken. I can see that because I'm looking at the back of this one right now. And the upper link mounts on the axle are really far apart. I mean, they're probably inch and a half, almost two inches apart. And on the SCXs, I mean, they are like right next to each other. Well, the lower ones where they mount at the skid, they're touching. So looking at something like that, I would think that you would lose a lot of stability because the thing's going to be super flexy now. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, yeah, it's, I like, perfectly triangulated upper and lower at opposite ends. So, I mean, it's almost like having, at that point, it's almost like having a single pivot in the center of it and having it just spin side to side. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, at that point, like you're saying, it's almost like radius arms. Yeah, yeah. It's really strange. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just a strange thing that I see, and it's like... <clears throat> You know, and, and I understand, like, the hobbyist and, like, the tuner and everybody wants to do stuff and make it their own and get it to perform and everything, but it, it's just, I don't know, you know, like, guys wanting to take a three-link and make it a four-link but keep the chassis-mounted servo. It's like, dude, that, you know, that doesn't work. I mean, there's a reason why it came the way it did, you know, and I, I just, I don't know. I've never looked at a kit and put it together and been like, oh, man, you know, I know more than these guys. I should have, you know. They should have done it this way, and I don't know. It's just a strange thing. No, I get it. Um, and while we're talking about the Capra, maybe we should take a second since we've both actually been able to. You're way farther than I am on it. Um, kind of like I don't know. I guess you want to go over our experience with like putting it together and whatnot. I mean, yeah, because yeah. I, I know with me, you know, it's not my first rodeo. Uh, it's not my first kit build, but. You know, and I knew going into it that there was discrepancies with the, you know, manual or right. the instructions, and I kind of knew that going in. But you know, luckily, like for myself, I'm you know I'm not like a super novice. Like I kind of you know have a few of these under my belt, so I can kind of like adapt and I kind of can know what's going on. And the one like there was one area that really confused me at first, but I don't remember anybody ever saying anything about it. So like it kind of like, you know, was messing with my mind for a while. Like I'm sitting here going, okay, everybody's complaint was had something to do with uh what was the what was the number one complaint? I always oh, forget it was what something it was. to do with the bearings in the portal boxes and having the, yeah. lid, the lid not close. I didn't have that problem at all. No, I didn't have that problem at all either. The problem I had was when it came down to the transmission and when you're doing the center section, the main portion of the transmission, there's your upper shaft and the way the, the direction show you to do it is you're supposed to put everything together and then that upper shaft is supposed to slide out the front case so you can mount your uh, slipper and all that stuff. Right. Well, I kept doing that, and the bottom wanted to shut, but the top wouldn't shut. And I'm sitting here going, and I kept looking inside the case, and I'm going, what's going on? And I was like looking at it, and I'm like, well, if you actually look at it, it looks like a bearing is supposed to go there. Ah, you know? yep, I remember so now. So I'm like going, that's weird. Yep. So what I ended up doing was taking it apart, put the bearing in the case, then slid that through the case from the outside going in, then put the, the pin through it so it would grab that upper gear – 
and everything worked fine after that. Yep. But it was one of those things like I, I just didn't remember anybody saying anything about that. No, like, I didn't were, either. And I had the exact same problem doing it too. Like I, I was looking at it and it was just the way that the diagram showed it. It was kind of a little bit like misleading because it, like you said, it looked like the bearing should have been one of the first things on and it didn't close that way. So, I mean, really like that was that and me not being clear on the long and short halves of each drive shaft which end they're supposed to go those are really the only two hiccups that i hit during the entire build yeah um yeah that was really it the only other hiccup i'm hitting which is like if you really want it like if i really had to get you know nitpick, not even nitpicky just if i had to pick one thing that was like a complaint or one thing that i dislike out of the whole entire thing would have to be the fact that they designed that dig unit around a servo saver setup that worked pretty much only with their the spectrum that they built it around. That's really my only complaint because the unfortunate thing is like like okay so like myself you know I'm a you know I'm an MKS servo guy like that's the servo that's my sponsor that's also a servo I stand behind I've said it numerous times. I want to put all MKS servos on there. Well, MKS does have a micro servo that's the exact dimensions. I already got it. It's HV6100. Well, there's a little bit of a problem. That HV6100 is your standard micro servo size, and that means it's got a 5 millimeter servo horn. If you buy the part, which I'm not 100% sure what it is, right, like off the top of my head, but they have that axial part that you can get that co that usually comes with the Spectrum micro servo, and it allows you to adapt it to whatever servo you want to use, and you could actually use the um, slipper set or the the servo saver, servo saver yeah. the way that they intended it to be. Well, that just won't work with me because it's just not going to work. So it's like now I got to get creative to make the servo I have work. But there is, you know, a, like I guess some there is some I guess positive things coming. I guess you could say um, I've been working with another fellow team driver, uh, Gene Boyd, who we just mentioned not too long ago about putting the axles underneath his. He um, actually has done a lot of research, and he found another MKS servo, which I believe is the HV93. Um, don't quote me on those numbers, but I'm almost positive it's 93 or 95. I just I know it's somewhere around there. And uh, he had talked with Thomas, the owner of MKS, and he did say that that micro servo is the only micro servo they have that has a six millimeter output. He goes, but the dimensions are a little bit bigger than the one that they say you are supposed, to, you know, than the Spectrum one they designed it around. So Gene's actually going to be working on seeing if he could make it work, and then if so, he wants to post it up there, so that way anybody else who's trying to do this with another servo that's not a Spectrum, then you could do that. Um, that's really, like I said, my only thing because, I mean, like, and I get it. Like, I'm not bashing on it. I understand, you know, um, you know, Horizon owns Axial. They own Spectrum. So, you know, that's their in-house brand. Another in-house brand is Dynamite. So that's why you see them pushing now. They don't call, like, even though, in, in my opinion, it's the same thing, even though they don't call,
call it the um uh what was it the uh what's the brush uh esc ae5 yeah the ae5 um even though they i mean i think they still call it the ae5 but even though it's not the axial ae5 it's the same thing it's a dynamite you know based uh esc um, and that's also why they kind of push, like I said, the Spectrum is because it's a house brand. It's something that they own. So, yeah, of course they're going to do it. You know, That's why they're going to make it um, you know, kind of cater to their products. Um, the only thing, like I said, is it's like I kind of wish they would have put a little more thought into like, well, hey, what if somebody doesn't want to run this and they want to run this brand or they want to brand one brand X or whatever, like make it a little bit easier because I know like with – when Vanquish had the Hertz dig, um, which I believe they still have, but when they used to have that, like when it first came out, they had two mounts, a mini servo and a standard size servo. But you could put anything you want on there because you just make the arm work and boom, you're done. Right. This one, I think based on the design of the dig, I think that's why they're worried about you using a servo is because if it's not exactly lined up, it's not gonna you're gonna put pressure on that servo because yeah. it's a it's like a plus sign going into a reverse plus sign if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, and so when if you're not exactly lined up the servo is gonna be trying to push the, the the shifter rod in and it's not gonna be able to go anywhere and you could potentially burn out your servo your shift servo exactly yeah see I ran on mine I did the eco power. Um, I think it's an EcoPower 620, I believe. And uh, that's um, a mains house brand micro servo. And it's got a standard 25 tooth, you know, output shaft. So you can use whatever servo horn on it that you want. But uh, the way that the servo's mounted, you still need to have a fairly short servo arm. And one of the things I believe guys have been doing when they're running something that has a standard sized output shaft on their micro servo is they're doing um, the Axial Yeti Jr. servo horn slash servo saver parts tree. And I guess that is like their their fix for using other servos in it. But the the other thing that I had noticed too is like, so what is that like 1.5 mil or the screws that they use to mount the servo with? Yeah, yeah. like the tabs on my servo, the holes are huge compared to the hardware that's supposed to hold it in. And I, I mean, I, I didn't even really have any washers, you know, and I've got like a big box of, you know, very small washers and stuff. And I, I struggled to find one that was the right size to where it would, you know, cover the ears and stuff and still be able to use their teeny tiny hardware. So, huh? That, yeah, because see, that was the servo I used that, like I said, the MKS HV6100 has... Um, they, the the holes are the same. I'm assuming the same size because that tiny hardware went right in and boom, not a problem. Oh really? Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, like it's in my opinion, it's a pretty identical servo um, from what I've looked at as far as like dimension wise. Um, the only difference is if you look at the MKS one, there's like a bump out on the opposite side of the servo horn. So, like if you were gonna like if you were to oversend your endpoints, your arm would probably hit that before going farther than it should. Which I don't know if that's right. like a design or if there's something else in there, like an extra gear, or if there's a certain you know like 
circuit board or something up in that cavity because I don't know why it bumps up like that. But yeah, that is kind of strange. But other than that, like I said, the um, oh, which I forgot to tell you, those uh, the aluminum servo horn or servo arms for that servo showed up today. So if oh, you right. still need, if you still need that five millimeter twenty five um, spline output. I can send it your way. Yeah, that'd be rad, dude. Thanks. Yeah, that would be nice because I'm just using the little plastic guy that came with the kit and just kind of made the little peg work on it for the time being. But you know what and else I got to figure out, though, that's going to be kind of crazy is um, so I've got an ex so the electronics that I've got in and I've got a Tekken 45 turn motor and then a uh, BXR ESC just because it's tiny and there's just a million different mounting possibilities for something that's like you know smaller and a quarter for an ESC so I was able to put it in like a really cool spot and everything but I'm running an external BEC and uh -huh. I have a HBL 599 the uh, bad boy MKS like the high volt high torque one and yeah. that's my steering one. Well, I have the external BEC set to 8 volts because that thing can take 8 volts and it puts out like 800 ounces of torque or something ridiculous like that. But it didn't occur to me that now I'm also sending 8 volts into my dig servo that is only rated at 6. So I've got to try and figure that out now. Okay, so what you need to do is you need to order, I don't know if Holmes Hobbies does it or if another um, company does it, you need a serve you need a servo BEC bypass. I think I have one where you just plug the uh, it, it's like a splitter and you plug the servo yep. directly into it. Yep. Ah, okay. I th I'm pretty sure I have one of those somewhere. Okay, rad. Yeah, it, it didn't get hot or anything, and, you know, it's like I don't know if with a dig servo, the little tiny bit of use it's going to have, you know, it's not constantly working. And so, you know, I don't know if it is going to be an issue, but, I, you know, it's not an expensive servo. I think it was like 30 bucks or something like that, but I, I'd still prefer not to burn it up, you know. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah, because I actually was watching that. Luckily, I was actually watching um, – was it i think it was a home's hobby video and he was talking about the electronics he's putting in his and he he explained that he said what a lot of people don't realize is when you're running the the normal size servo it can handle a lot more volts than the little guy can so you need to run a bypass for the shift servo so that way it's not getting the voltage from the BEC, it's getting the voltage from the ESC. Right. Yeah, I need to do that. Speaking of Holmes Hobbies, did you see his video for the revolver motor for the noise? Uh, no, I have not. Oh my god, dude. He is... John is putting out some seriously funny videos lately. Like, oh yeah, no, I know. Like, He's hilarious. The I had no idea that that dude was as funny as he is. Like, the the video that he just put out is because those revolver motors sound crazy. Like I remember the first time I heard one was this summer at Die Hard, And I was like, what in the hell is in that thing? You know? And the guy's like, Oh, it's a Holmes revolver and stuff. I was like, Oh, okay. It's one of those outrunner style. So that, that made sense, but it sounded just nuts. Like this weird high pitched whirring noise. Like it, it, it didn't really annoy me or anything, but I guess other people bitched about it. So he put out this like super funny tongue in cheek video where 
he takes in 3D prints an old school drum style record, you know, like what you see for like RCA's record label, you know, the dog standing next to the gramophone. Yeah. So he made a gramophone style record and then put it on over the outside of the revolver and then pretended to have the shift servo have the record player arm so that you could play it forward or reverse you know and like oh, listen. Wow. so it, it, and he called it the god i forget what it was now but anyway so basically it's like a drum style record and when you drive the car it's playing music instead of hearing the motor noise and so he plays the and he, he's like yeah and it also works in reverse and so he plays the song backwards in reverse and he's sitting there going this is satan and i command you to eat ice cream for dinner every night and like all this stuff like it just absolutely killed me like just super super funny video just kind of basically taking something with a complaint with his product and turning it into a joke you know to laugh about and stuff so it, it was pretty good like the dude's pretty damn funny yeah i was gonna say the one that always that always uh, jumps out at me is did you see the video about his uh his construction cones no oh my gosh that one that's one that cracks me up the first time i saw it and he's like a he's got like this very like the dry humor about it like he's very like you know like you know there's some people when they start telling a joke they start busting up themselves yeah i'm terrible for that (laughs) yeah the way he does it oh my gosh it's hilarious he's like Today we were going to talk about cones. He goes, there's a lot of things you can do with your cones. He goes, you can set your cones over here. You can set your cones over there. He goes, you could even touch your cones if you want to. And sometimes I like to make my cones touch. And you're like, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like I, like I would like, this is like, this is it's so off the wall. It's like, wow. And he keeps you, such a straight face. Like it, it's great. Yeah, like, I mean, he's, and it's funny, like, um, you know, he's a very, very smart individual, like, yeah, you know, because like, I go to him because he's, you know, he obviously is one of my sponsors, but I go to him for a lot of knowledge on these motors, because like, I really was, I'm torn with, and I'm still torn now, especially after he put out that video on the electronics he has in his um, Capra, you know, I'm torn. I'm like, okay, do I want to go brushless? Do I want to go brushed? Like, and if I do, which one do I want to do? And it's like, so like, I almost had all my electronics figured out. Like, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to go the 2700 Puller Pro with um, a Castle Mamba X. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. So I messaged him and I said, what do you think about this? And he goes, oh, well, you know, the gear ratio in the transmission only equates to this. So, I think the 27 might be too much. You might want to drop down to a 22, uh, but then again, you know, I don't know if that's going to be too slow. And my, you know, my key's always been volt up and gear down. Yeah. Um, it makes her. He goes. It makes for a much better, smoother operation. Yep. So then I was like, so then it got me thinking again. I said, okay, well maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. And then after he released that video and he's talking about the uh, the crawl the crawlmaster magnum, and I'm sitting here going. Well, maybe I should do that because that thing crawls super butter smooth. So I'm like, I'm all over the place now. That's hard when a manufacturer actually has like too much stuff to where you can't make a decision. You know what I mean? Like it's like, great. Well, what what do I choose? Because there's so many choices. So yeah, and the other thing too is I'm already I'm already gonna bite the bullet for this one part because I I had to order some more stuff because um 
I know when I first mentioned the Capra, I think I said it on the show. I wa- I was like saying like how I do almost every episode now, mm-hmm. um, how I wanted to do four wheel steer. So I ordered a bunch of extra parts for it, um, and I realized I needed a couple other things. So I placed another order uh, over the weekend. So I should be getting it any day now. Um, I mean, it's just little things. Like for instance. I, you know, I was like, oh shoot, I didn't order shoulder bolts and I have those extra gears and the out in the in the stub shafts which I really didn't need, but I guess now I have them for extra. So I ordered the shoulder bolts, but I said, oh, I don't want to just order shoulder bolts. I got to order something else. So I was going through some of the other stuff and one thing that, you know, makes me very like, you know, like I said, I like things being very I'm very particular when I when I have a vision for something. Well, you've seen it. This Capra uses a whole new rod end setup. Like yeah. it's entirely different. So originally I didn't really think of, I didn't think about it and I was thinking to myself, "Oh, I'll just use some spare rod ends that come, you know, like from one of my kits or whatever." But to me, it's like, "Okay, now it's going to stick out like a sore thumb because when you see those rod ends, they're not going to match the rest of the car." Right. And to me, like I said, it's just going to bother me. So I ended up ordering another rod end kit for it, the shoulder bolts, and then I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it now. I'm replacing the 14-tooth pinion with a 12-tooth. So I'm going to try and gear it down just a little bit in the transmission. Um, that, that's what I went to, actually. I did a uh, I did a 12-tooth pinion. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, because cause John Holmes also mentioned that if you did that, you would have to modify something. Did you have to modify yours at all? Mm-mm. No. Okay. Together so fine. Okay. Okay. Well. You know what was kind of cool? Speaking of like him, so it, it's kind of funny. So like, you know, you're a team driver for Holmes, and I'm a team driver for Teakin. And uh, it, it was really funny. I there was a post somewhere, and maybe it was on the Capper page. I don't remember now, but uh, he and John were both. Ty and John were both commenting on it and stuff and it was really cool to see like this respectful exchange between two competitors you know like it was just it it was really cool and like really professional you know and it nobody was trying to sound smarter than the other guy or you know talk badly or anything you know and they were just kind of bouncing stuff off each other idea wise and it was just something really cool to see and it's like man you know if people can get along like this that are competitors in business in the same hobby why can't you know other people it just it i don't know it was just it was cool to see like it, i was impressed by the way those two you know, had behaved with each other. I thought it was cool. Well, I think the other thing too, which also helps with that, or I don't know if it helps or if it's just coincidence, but anybody who, um, you know, is a fan of Holmes Hobby Motors um, or his electronics period, uh, he actually kind of canned all of his brushless uh, speed controls. So he discontinued, or I didn't say canned them, he discontinued them. So you really can't get a brushless speed control by home. So he's actually like, cause that was one of the ones he recommended to me. Cause I was telling him, Hey, I'm thinking about going 27 and da da da. You know, he actually said, he goes, yeah, he goes, you could probably go with something like a, um, an RX four. He goes, or a Mamba, you know, uh, X. And I was like, did you just like, you know, give me advice to use, 
Yu-Gi-Oh competitor. That's kind of like weird to hear, but I think that might be why some of it comes off as okay. They can actually have like a back and forth, and it's like civil because he knows right now that's a possibility. Like you're gonna have to use my competitors because I don't have one for you to use. Right, which that that's awesome, and he's dead on. Like that RX four is a bitch in ESC. Like it is, it has a lot of really impressive features and just infinite adjustability. So I mean that that is a hell of a good brushless ESC. The only reason why I'm not considering that is because I no longer have the uh, Tekken Hotlink or Hotwire. Oh yeah. It, that does make it nice. Like, I still somehow botch up trying to do field programming with the buttons that are on it and the LEDs and stuff, but I also have really bad eyesight, so it's hard for me to tell, like, which LEDs lit up. But... Okay, yeah. I mean, because, like, I... Because, really, I bought the Hotwire a while back when I was... Before I was a homes um, guy. I had a lot of teak and brushed, and I used to run the FXR with either a 45 or a 35 that was always my go-to um setup mm-hmm. and somebody said oh it's so much easier if you just use the, the hot wire and i was like okay well then i realized yeah it's just easier because you can do it all at once i said i was programming all these with the buttons on the esc fine so somebody needed one really bad so i ended up just giving it to them oh right on so I was just like, yeah, here you go. I don't ever use it anyway, so you can have it. And they were like, oh, sweet. And then that was the end of it. So like, I was like, all right, well, now I no longer have that. And I have a castle link from when I used to program all my uh, AE2s. Um, it was AE2 or is it AE3? What was the one prior to AE5? Three? Uh, I believe that was the three, yeah. And then the two, the two was their 2S only. Okay. No, the AE3, the one that looked identical to the Castle, and it worked with Castle Link. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that one is a Castle. It's actually sourced from them. Yeah, so so that's why I have the Castle. So I was like, okay, so I still have that. So it works with all that stuff, and John's stuff is based off of that too, so it works with it. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to keep my stuff simple and just kind of stay under the one umbrella. Yeah. So... But anyway, so yeah, so that's the problem I'm having right now. Otherwise, everything else is dialed in. Oh, the only other problem I'm having, and it happened yesterday. So um, I've been torn on tires uh, because I've noticed a lot of people are are picking. I mean, if they're going for complete performance, they're picking um, the Hyrax. I've seen the Hyrax on there more than anything. Yeah, um, me too. And if they're not going for 100% performance and they still want performance but they want it to look scale, I noticed that the um, the BFG crawlers by ProLine are, are like a hot choice. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, you know, I really do like those tires. But I was like, I kind of don't want to be like everybody else. And I happened to go – I was talking, like I said, with one of the conversations I've had over this car with Gene Boyd, and he said – dude, you should get your hands on some uh, Maxxis Trepidors. And I said, dude, it's funny you say that because I said I have some Maxxis Trepidors somewhere from a takeoff. Um, I'll have to find them. Well, of course, I found them, and I don't know how they like how they got mismatched or whatever, but uh, three of them were from, it looks like, one of the Jeep variations when they have like the three or four different Jeeps between the recon 
series one, the Poison Spider and the uh, or no, the CRC and the uh, just the regular gray Jeep. Mm-hmm. And then another one was its only one, and it was on a different style wheel, and the tire actually looked different. So I said it might actually be older. Like just it didn't look different like tread style or any of that stuff. It's just the coloration and like the feel of it was different. So I was like, well, maybe it's like an older one or something, you know? Because the other three look newer. Right. So, anyways. I went to do the old baking method to pop them all off, and of course the three that matched popped off like nothing, and the other one I wouldn't go like it would not release. Oh no! I don't know. I don't know what glue was used, but it would not release. Wow, that's unusual. I mean, I I've never had a problem with baking them off before. Yeah, so I mean, I did it. So I kept throwing it back in there, kept throwing it back in there, and at one point it was in there for so long, the sidewall started uh, bubbling. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, no. So I was like, I was like, okay, well now if I even get this thing off, it's gonna look like crap. So I'm like, what do I do now? So I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards, which also would be more performance wise. I'm almost leaning now towards just buying a set of four Maxxis Trepidors, the R35 compound. Oh, the sticky ones, yeah. I like so, that idea because, like, the Jesse Haynes is a Maxxis driver, I believe, and so, like, his buggy has, like, Maxxis Trepidors on it and Maxxis logo on the side and stuff. And I did a uh, wrap uh, design and used, um, on one of the orange ones I did, I did the Maxxis logo on just, you know, as, like, a placeholder to show people. And it looked really good, and I was like, man, doing, like, a full-on, like, Maxxis build would be neat if somebody did that. Yeah, so I don't know. So I'm leaning that way. So I might. Have, so maybe when we get off the podcast, I might have to order those because I'm like getting. I'm like right there. It's almost ready to be a complete roller, but it's like I'm just waiting on tires, and then um, yeah, I got everything else. I got wheels. I got um, the servos are already mounted. I'm waiting for like a couple more things for the rear steer. Um, then I then it's down to painting panels, and uh, that's you know my next step. So. I did the silver on the inside, black on the outside on mine, so that when it scratches through the wrap and then the black, it'll be silver like on the Wraith. I kind of copied what Axial did there. Nice. And plus it looks kind of cool because if I have a different interior in mind, so a little bit of the side panels are visible and then the underside of the roof panels visible and all that silver. So it, it actually looks pretty cool. I, I'm probably, I have Hyrax on it right now, but I'm probably going to go to BFGs on it just because I... I really, really like the KXs, the crawlers, and I, I think that's what I'm going to end up throwing on this. Nice. Yeah, so that's and so yeah, so that's really about it. So, I mean, like I said, I'm jealous. When you showed that four-wheel parts one, dude, I was like, oh, my God. I, I have it sitting on the desk next to me, and, like, honestly, I can't really stop looking at it. Like, it looks good in pictures and stuff, but in person, it's so much better even. I mean, like... The yellow pops really hard on it, and it just—it's uh, one of my favorite designs. So I'm—I'm actually—I've uh, got a call into their marketing department, so I want to see if I can get it to where I can use their logo and sell some uh, four-wheel parts licensed wraps and stuff. So I think that'd be kind of nice. Such so a cool one-to-one yeah. company, you know, and they're super involved with all kinds of off-road motorsports. So I think that'd be a rad one to have. Oh yeah, totally. 
So, I mean, I think that really wraps up all of our Capra talk. Neither one of us have got to actually drive it yet. So I drove mine on the floor and tried the dig. I've never had a rig with dig before, so that was like the first thing I wanted to do is like try it out and pretty darn cool. And oh, one other thing too, like that I wanted to say, you know, and like I, I'm in kind of a weird position talking about other cars. Uh, other brands right now and so i i have to be kind of careful with what i say a little bit but the capra just to clarify is uh is it belongs to sor like it, it's a work a work toy to have you know it, it's it's for doing you know i bought it so i can do wraps for it and take pictures and everything and one of the things i noticed building this thing was Honestly, dude, like that transmission is badass. I I thought yeah. it would be bigger and clunkier with having the dig and everything, but it is so compact that like it may even be smaller than the standard axial three gear transmission. Oh, it definitely is because um, I'm calling this Capra like the smaller brother to my UC Fabrig, uh, mm-hmm. which is another one I got to get done, and that one's got a. Uh, Vanquish, well, it's the standard AX transmission, but it's just a Vanquish housing with a Vanquish dig, and that thing's like twice as long. Yeah, it's like they're physically big, and so when I put this together, I was like, oh my god, it's tiny, it's so cool. Like, it actually, you know, like props to Axial for that that design and being able to incorporate a dig and have it be that little because it it is a pretty impressive piece of engineering, you know, when you get it built and you start looking at it so that was pretty cool yeah i can't believe you've never driven with dig before i had dig in my wraith and i remember when i put that in there i remember blowing people away i want to say it was at the first fire and ice i ever went to um because i had the wraith and i skinned it to look like a bronco and i remember everybody was coming to this one obstacle and you had to make this like super hairpin turn so Everybody was doing, um, you know, they were doing like three-point turns on the rock, and they they would make them roll off. Right. And I would lock up the dig and just keep going, and they're like, "Oh, it's cheating!" And I'm like, "Not really." I said, "It's, you know, I said, if you had a rig like a one-to-one, like if you're following people and you're wheeling, and let's say you had an atlas in there, and you could change the gear ratio, yeah, you could perform your own dig, same thing, perform your own dig on in your real." jeep so i said not really i said so it was, it was funny because it was like to see the look on people's face when they were like how did you do that like oh i bet yeah, yeah i mean the laser nut moon buggy pretty penny that has dig in it and like when we drove the older version i don't even remember what the old moon buggy was called it may not have had a name but uh when we drove that it had a dig in it and tony mazza had used it to like turn around a stump and stuff that like it, it was really cool so, oh yeah, I mean, it, it's it's absolutely something you see in the you know actual rock buggies. So yeah, no, and it's definitely like it's it's right at home in this rig. Like everything that they've done um, in this rig, in my opinion, has been like I said, like we said, we touched base on on it in the last episode. So I don't want to take up too much time talking about it again. But it's a performance first rig. And I just think it's cool that they were able to still bring some sort of styling to look like a one-to-one rig because um, Matt Kent from Scale Builders Guild said it the best in his video that he released today or early this morning about 
his thoughts and his takes on the Capra. And he said it brings back a lot of roots to their original, like the AX-10 and all that stuff, like back when they had comp crawlers, which is very true. It's very comp crawlerish, but they were able to capture the scaleness that they're known for now. So even though it's a comp crawler vehicle, it's very scale. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why it's got such massive appeal to everybody right now. I mean, like... I don't want to, like, talk about numbers or anything, but, like, dude, ever since, when was it? Like, Monday morning, I think, is when I posted that we had wraps available for this. Like, it has been just non-stop orders ever since. Like, it, it's absolutely blowing up. It, it, it blew me away. Yeah, so no, I mean. There's going to be a lot of them running around out there. Oh yeah, and like I said, and like even like when we were when um, we've mentioned it with uh, when we were talking with Matt Hawk, we said, hey, you know, like that'd be cool if they if somebody started scale we rock. Oh, I'd be so all about that. That would be so much fun. So, um, I know it's gonna happen. You know, there's so much talk about it, and in this community, you know, when one person gets an idea, which is funny because it's kind of goes into what we want to talk about tonight. Um, when one person gets an idea, it's like a rat race to have the next best thing or the better version of it or, or modifying it to work to, you know, to suit their needs and this, that, and the other. So, um, yeah, I know it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, if I wasn't so burnt out on like the whole comp and club thing, I would be just all about it, but it's tough getting people on board and enough people to buy something to where you could actually do a series like that. So I don't know. We'll see if it catches on around here in this area. Um, so far only know two people that have it, but if it catches on in this area, um, maybe we'll end up doing something out of die hard, do some sort of a, we rock competition. Cause those aren't necessarily very long courses. Are they? No, no, like actually, if you saw some of the areas that they actually have the real We Rock stuff at, it really takes up like three little mounds of like ro- not little mounds, but it's like three obstacles of rocks, and they're like almost like straight up and down gnarly sideways, you know, gates. Like you got to go straight up a sheer vertical cliff, then like shimmy around the top then come down something i mean like it's nuts so i mean realistically it's not a big thing like it's a really small so like you could take like um like like diehard could probably take a three to four foot square you know four by four or three by three area put a pile of rocks with like different like intricate lines in it and you could design a um a course in that like three or four different ways you yeah, know the same, there, there's the same actually rock. two piles at the end of the course that are exactly like what you described so i mean there, there's actually spots where we could do it then i i'd be curious to find out what the number of gates are you know at those events yeah i'd have I, to look that up i feel, um, I feel not, like it's not many it's not many but um yeah no i think that'd be a lot of fun but um yeah i think that's enough i mean I don't want this to become the that Capra show. <laughs> that's, that's all we're talking about these days. But I mean, yeah, well, it, it happens whenever something's new, you know. And and like also, Axial just released that Ford F one hundred, I believe it is, right? Which is really funny because it's kind of like, um, who said it? Was it last week? I don't think we've talked about it yet. 
No, 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 no. Not with like not with this car being released, but with what they're doing. Like how they're kind of like overshadowing their own releases oh, with other releases. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like the Capra's so big and then they release that SEX ten and there was no like hype train building it up or anything and no teasers. It was just, you know, here it is. And like it almost makes me wonder if it worked against them because I haven't heard or seen hardly any posts about that new that new rig. Yeah, the only one I really saw was I know, and it's because Elio's a Ford guy. He made a comment saying, "Oh my gosh, I'm in love." They finally released a Ford, and like you know, he got all excited. I mean, that's really about the most I've ever seen. I've never seen anything else. Yeah. So I mean, which is kind of like. It's sad in a way because it's like, you know, the Capra got so much hype, which rightfully so, you know, it's new from the ground up. Um, And it's like then you release something like that Ford right when you're like two weeks off of or or maybe three weeks off of the Capra release. And it's like you guys are just going to do that. You're going to like kill yourselves, you know. Yeah, it was really kind of an interesting move. I don't know. That'll that'll be that'll be strange to see. There, this so. is going to be a good year, um, too. I I know, like with Element, there is going to be a lot of uh, a lot of excitement around the Element brand this year. I was told that twenty twenty is going to be a, a very big, exciting year for them. So I'm super excited to see what what comes that way and for people that don't know i i wasn't going to say anything about it but i I feel like i almost need to to kind of differentiate between like work and myself personally so um this year i'm a team associated driver uh i had um been uh, with hot bodies you know my son and i've been with hot bodies for a long time and i spent like the last five years driving their cars for racing and i'll be team associated this year and uh with that, of course, comes Element, and that was what was um, what kind of sealed the deal with with AE and everything. So I'm I'm at all comps and stuff like that. I'm going to be, you know, anything that's like me personally. I'm going to be running the Enduro platform. So I'm pretty excited about that. So I've got a Class One that I just built, and then I've got a Class Two uh, Element Enduro. So that's something I'm doing personally, and then. You know, with work, I have to have a lot of, you know, I I need to be able to have different rigs for product development and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of weird wearing two hats. Like with SOR, we do stuff for everything. And then myself personally, like my own personal rigs are only element. So I didn't want like somebody to hear something and be like, well, I thought he was an element driver and now, you know, he's got an axial. What's going on there? So it's like there's a separation between work and myself personally that, uh, that I'm trying to maintain with all this. So it'll be interesting, but it, it's really exciting stuff. So I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of their program. So awesome. Yeah. Um, th- I understand that whole multiple hat thing because I myself wear like, th- like three hats now. Um, I got myself as like Dean Designs, I got two chains, which is the group, which is like the, the partnership with Elio, and then I got the That Scale RC show, which is the partnership with you. So it's like I'm like all over the place. Yeah, and that's just it. It's like with the show, it's like okay, 
is it appropriate for us to talk or praise other brands? You, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's kind of like with the show, I feel like it should be unbiased. And that's something I didn't really discuss with AE. But I, I'm sure that their understanding of the fact that, you know, if it's an industry related show, we kind of have to talk about everything and stuff. And so, you know, it. it it, it is what it is. I don't want to have it be too complicated because then it can start to take the fun out of it. But, um, you know, even though you and I are, you know, team drivers with various different companies, you know, like I I am actually kind of proud of the fact that we still offer, you know, like an unbiased view on other products and stuff, you know, when it comes to the show at least. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I think that's like the one cool thing, you know, not to totally, you know, toot our own horns, but like I like that, you know, I like to think we're both two really real people when it comes to some of the stuff. Like we're realist about a lot of what's coming down the pipeline. And like, if we like, you know, if it looks whack, we're going to say it looks whack. If it's, you know, if it's looks cool, like, yeah, it's going to look cool. I mean, yeah, I will admit I'm probably a little more biased towards Axial than you are just because that's the company that started it all for me that was my first scaler that was my first rc car that was my first like everything so it's like you know so i've been around it so long and it's like anything else you like you grew up around it it's kind of like like in my in the real world you know i grew up around chevy so naturally i gravitate towards chevy because it's all i know right yeah so you know, my first rig was an Axial. You know, my first rig was an Axial Wraith. And, you know, I'll, I'll always have, like, a, a real fondness for the memories of, you know, using Axial products when I, you know, we do club runs and go do comps and stuff, you know, and the rigs always suited me really well. And this is a new, really exciting venture, and it's something that I, I'm excited because I can have some – you know, offer a little bit of input with some of this. And so it's, it's really cool for me because it's kind of just a clean slate and starting fresh for this next year with new brands and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's keeping the hobby like fun and exciting for me, you know, getting to try different things and do different things and learn about a completely new platform. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know, and I'm not, I'm not much of a kit guy. I don't usually enjoy building kits, but you know, the Enduro kit that I just built for my C1, I really had a lot of fun with, um, the Axial Capra that I built for work. I, I had, I actually enjoyed putting that together too, you know, like in, and that's rare for me because I'm more like a finished product, like start adding the details and scale it out guy. Like for me, the build of the chassis and everything isn't normally an enjoyable thing for me because it's just, it's kind of boring. You know what I mean? Like it's not exciting for me. Like my excitement is like putting all the finishing touches on it. And so, you know, it it gets a little bit tedious, you know, putting that stuff together. But these were actually two that I really enjoyed putting together. And uh, even with the manual being unclear about some stuff, I mean, the Capra still went together really well. So, yeah. And I totally understand what you're saying. Um, I myself, you know, I've always said I'm more of like, I always have more fun building than filming, if that makes sense. Like, you know, like when I get out there, like, good one, I'm in an event, like running it, like trying to get shots and video and this, that, and the other. It's like, I have more fun building it for some, you know, so it's like, it's, it, you know, but I also do have like what I like to say the eye for some of this stuff, like when it comes to like trying to capture it, you know, on film or, you know, pictures or whatever. But, um, yeah, so building a kit definitely is fun. Um, I got actually one quick question before we, like I said, we get into our um, other topic. 
Um, the Capra is like the first kit from Axial where there really were no part trees. The part like it was almost like everything was already done. All the little burrs were taken off for you. All the pieces were taken off for you. Everything was in little baggies labeled. So by the time you're done, you really didn't have like this whole pile of extra parts, you know? I noticed that. Yeah. You know what yeah. was funny is the element was that way too. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, was the element the same way? Like, do they have a ton of part trees? I mean, and I, and I get it. It is like... Some of that stuff is kind of sad that you don't have it because, I mean, that was where you got some of the cool, like, I call them hidden axial gems. Like, if you had, right, like, yeah. like, when you got the, like, the, the my first kit, the hidden gem was with, they had these, they had a tree with uh, different they, steering wheels and they had, like, a rifle and, a, you know, like, kind of like hunting kind of items and a gun rack for your back window. Like, like they had some cool things that you could only get on those trees. Then I think the, the ammo cans yep. were – that, that was a pretty popular thing. Then they had the bullhorns. Um, like, you know, they just had the weird little things that you would get, and now you don't get any of that, which, you know, you could take it or leave it. I mean, the one nice thing is – I always feel like, oh, okay, do I really need to hold on to all this stuff? And it's like, eh, I might end up tossing it or give it away. And then you're like, then of course, either you do, and then you go, oh, I could have used some of those for this, or oh, I could have used some of that for that. I mean, it's like, it's hard. It's like, do you just have a pile of extra stuff, or do you just, okay, I've got the car done? Yeah, I've got an entire tote that's just full of parts trees. And I, you know, putting, especially like, so one of my favorite things about that element was the shocks on it. Cause you know, being like racer guy, suspension's super important to me. And, uh, the shocks went together so nice on this because everything was not on a parts tree. It was all individual parts. So you didn't have any little burrs to clean up, you know, where you cut it off of the tree or anything like that. And I, I can see how that would to guys that enjoy building the kit and they're like a model builder. I could see how that's part of the process and they enjoy that. But I think the reason why I enjoyed building it so much was the fact that I didn't have to do any of that. All the parts were nice and clean and the pistons going into the shocks were perfectly smooth and had nothing to, you know, nothing to bind up or have any kind of friction and make them stick or anything like that. And uh, it, was, it was just really impressive. But I, I really think that's the reason why I actually had fun for a change building a kit was because it all came individual pieces and you didn't have to go through all that and it made the process way faster too like the the two builds that i just did like flew together oh yeah yeah it cut it cuts down time because you're not spending the time having to clean up burrs and clean you know because especially when it comes to the shocks it's super important because i remember like my first kit i was like a novice obviously and um I like they were like oh yeah clean off the burrs like they told you in the directions clean off the burrs and I did a half-ass job you know I kind of sanded it off and of course right. all my stuff leaked and you know and one of my buddies said yeah it's because you didn't take the time to truly clean up that piston so now it you know yep 
leaks. And that, that seemed like it was always like the one thing that I never got right with those, you know, like I would cut it and be in a hurry, you know, cause I, I don't like building shocks. I don't like building diffs and stuff like that. Like I don't really enjoy like the messy parts of it. And especially because the environment that I do all this in, everything's got to stay really clean and oil and grease free because of, you know, printing and stuff. And so I, I really have grown to hate that portion of, you know, a build, but that, I would always just half-ass it, like you said, and be in a hurry and end up having sticky shocks or something to be hinky with them. So, yeah, this yeah. was a good move for the people like me that just like, okay, I have limited time. I got to get this thing done fast. I don't have a lot of time to goof around because I need to get it finished for photos. And so I, I've i really appreciated kind of the new direction that some of these outfits are going with, you know, packaging their stuff up. And oh, plus, yeah. think about it too. Like, there's they're paying somebody in a factory to sit there and clean all this stuff up and bag it, you know. And True. it's like that. You would think that would increase the price of these kits, but you know, it, it, we just continue to keep getting more and more for our money, and uh, and we're not seeing a big increase in price or anything like that. So, I mean, that that's something that's really cool. And I I don't know how many enthusiasts are going to take the time to think about that, but I mean. You know that's probably an expensive mood move to have it be packaged like that already and already cut and cleaned up. I mean, you know that that's pretty rad that you're not paying for that on top of what you're getting already. Exactly. So generic and knockoff stuff. We need to address that. Yes, and if do, you do, we want to share some of the comments from Facebook on it. I mean, we'll have to edit a couple of them, and because there were some bad words, but. Um, it's up to you. I mean, like, it, it, they're it, basically, you know, anybody can go on our on our page and read those comments. So it's not like, it's not like you're, oh, we're not going to say these names or we're not going to bring up this to save, you know, this person's dignity. I mean, it's already sure. all said. So right, right, if, yeah. We're not, we're not worrying about that. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want, we can, and then we can kind of break it down and kind of talk. I mean, I know the first. I mean, as soon as we posted that. I think the first comment somebody said was, you know, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. The first thing that always comes to my mind are the Chanquish wheels, which is a slang term for the Chinese knockoff Vanquish wheels. Um, and which, you know, is kind of one of those items that really does stick out to myself when I think of, hey, you know, what's a, what's a knockoff item? That's definitely a knockoff item. Um, they, 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 and it's, and we say it's a knockoff because you're taking something and you're legitimately copying it part for part, piece for piece, style by style, design, design, and you're just not labeling it under the company you are ripping off. Right, exactly. So, I mean, there's kind of a difference there between, like, a good example is, like, Louis Vuitton purses, you know? It's like, you can buy them, like, from a street vendor, and it'll still have, you know, the LV on it and stuff like that, but yet, you know, so, I mean, they are trying to pass it off as, yes, this is a Louis Vuitton purse when you know it's not, or wallet or whatever, you know? So... It, one thing that the knockoff companies and you know, these Chinese manufacturers aren't doing is they aren't trying to pass it off as a vanquish wheel. So that that's one thing that we kind of need to clear the air about. You know, it, it's it doesn't they're not trying to pass off something to you and say that it's something else. All they're doing is copying that design 
and selling it. And so that's what makes it a knockoff. Now, if you're buying something like the extra speed iron clock uh, is an example, there's a lot of versions of that sold under miscellaneous vendors on eBay and Amazon. And that, because it's sourced from China and comes from China, that doesn't make it a knockoff because it's not copying anything. It's not copying an existing wheel that another manufacturer is doing, like with in Vanquish's sake. So that item is a generic. So anything that you're buying like on Amazon or eBay, and it's not a replica of something that is a licensed version in the RC world, you are buying a generic item. And I, they're not really doing anything wrong because they're just offering a style of wheel for inexpensive and you know they're not stepping on anybody's toes by doing that because they didn't copy anybody it's just a cheap inexpensive wheel for enthusiasts to buy so you can't really hammer them too bad on something like that the the argument with the knockoff stuff like i completely get it with um with vanquish and how that's a frustrating thing for them because they are paying money for licensing you know, so that it can actually say method or KMC on it, you know, so that costs some money. It's made here in the U S um, it's made out of, uh, you know, higher quality materials, which I, they don't say anything on the knockoff wheels. So I have no idea what they're made out of. I couldn't tell you if it's like, you know, what is it? Um, T60 or whatever the highest aluminum is, you know, the, the hardest one yeah. that you can get. But anyways, um, you know, they don't say what the material is, but a lot of people buy the knockoff wheels because the average enthusiast isn't the dude that has, you know, a thousand dollar rig. Like the average guy, like even in our club has an RTR and he threw some wheels on it and maybe a body and that's it, you know, and they've got kids with, you know, soccer practice and, you know, football and braces and everything else. And I get why people buy those, you know, um, I've bought pairs in the past and with, with me, it was a little bit different because I was building a rig that I was painting the wheels on. And so I didn't really, you know, a lot of the cars that I have are just for pictures. They don't really get driven much. And so I was like, you know, I'm not going to spend 160 bucks on a set of Vanquish wheels to paint over them with etching primer, take a couple pictures, and then have it sit on a shelf for the rest of the life. You know, it's like I needed kind of a disposable item more or less. And so that's why I chose those wheels for it. So that's, you know... That's that. I mean, we have a lot of different rigs, and I can't necessarily put the most expensive parts on everything on stuff that just sits, you know? And so with me, it, like, it's got to look good for pictures, and that's about it. You know, it, it's nothing against, you know, James or Steve or anything like that, which are the owners of Vanquish. They, You know, their, their products are incredible. I think they're absolutely worth the price that you pay because the quality is outstanding. And... uh you know, so so that that's kind of in a nutshell, like the main difference between all of it. Yeah, and um, you know, I was going to say the same thing. I really only bought, you know, the the quote unquote Chinquish wheels once, and that was because I was following suit with Elio. We were doing this thing. Like he thought it'd be funny. He threw a set of one nine beadlock wheels with one nine crawler tires on his slash. And I was, and he was like, dude, you got to do this. It's just like, he goes, it just handles so differently because, you know, the tires are actually folding when you're turning. So 
your power slides are different. Your donuts are different. Like the way you like corner is different. So he said, it's really cool. We should, you should do it. Well, of course, you know, so I'm like, yeah, I don't want to spend a ton of money because it's on a car that goes, you know, 20, 30 miles an hour or more if you really, you know, want to mess with it. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to send, you know, $180 wheels, you know, that fast and then, you know, ruin them or something. So I was like, drive it into a curb or something. Exactly. So I was like, all right, yeah, we'll go, we'll go cheap. And then I went with what you say, or like what we were saying, the, uh, they're not knockoffs they're just lower quality, um, blingy items. I went on eBay and ordered a set of Yeti replacement shocks that were like anodized black and silver. I think, um, I might've went with a different color. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's what I put on there. Cause, cause we had discovered that if you put the short Yeti shocks in the front and you put the longer ones in the rear, the suspension actually travels more like a real trophy truck versus, you know, the way it does when you buy it straight from the store. Right, right. With the, with the slash. So that's really my only experience. Uh, the other way too, like if anybody's listening to this and they're kind of like – Hey, I bought a set of these wheels off somebody and they told me, you know, they were Vanquish. If if you really want to know they're Vanquish, you'll know because the hardware on Vanquish wheels are all standard or another nickname that's all American. So like the um like when you use the SLWs, the little bolts in the center are 440. Um I forget the actual number for the little ones around the beadlock, but um. Yeah, you'll know because you're not because all those wrenches to put all that stuff together are standard size wrenches. They're not metric wrenches. So if you're using metric wrench, wrenches on a rig or on an item that some that you bought from somebody and they claim that it's oh this is Vanquish, then it's not Vanquish. Um. I'm not a hundred percent sure though about their incision lineup. Their incision lineup might be metric. I believe the incision ones are, I believe. Because, because I do believe incision is outsourced. But don't quote me. I could be wrong. Actually, I, James clarified that in the comments section when he had hopped on there. He, he said the incision stuff is – all the metal incision stuff is made in the U.S. Anything that's plas- – oh, okay. anything plastic was sourced from Taiwan. Gotcha. Okay. And, and Taiwan is not the same as China people. Like it, it's just not, you know, they have like just about every RC RTR or kit is made in Taiwan. And it, there's a reason for it is because quality control. That's why, you know, axial rigs are nice and element rigs are nice and everything is because it's like, it's a legitimate factory that all these main, these U S owned companies go to, to have their stuff produced at. So there is a big difference between, the eBay Chinese companies and the legitimate OEM manufacturers in Taiwan that are building this stuff for us. Oh yeah. And, um, Oh, there's one thing I was going to touch on. Um, it was all related to this. Yeah. I think we already, but I think we already just, I think we already covered it. It was the whole reason. Like I know one of the big things was one of the good people wanted to know why, why do you continue to support these? And it really comes down to a price. Um, you know, it's no secret that the majority of the um, RC community is cheap. 
Like, you know, I mean, yeah, it's like it's even like real world. Like, of course, if you could get something and not have to spend an arm and a leg on it. Yeah, you're going to go do it because it's, you know, you could, you know, and now it's affordable, yeah, you know, exactly. And I think and I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, I really do got to give Vanquish props for coming up with their incision lineup. Mm-hmm. It definitely it definitely helped get their products more you know i what's the word like more gain more uh you know it, it put their products in more people's hands i think there you go yeah i was trying to think of a word for that but um yeah so it became you know more popular more feasible there you go right, more yeah, feasible there you go to you know to buy so which is awesome and their um, incision line's rad it's just as nice as anything else they have Oh, exactly. Um, and it's actually funny because some of the way their incision stuff is is actually the model for some of these other companies like Main Stuff. Like um, there's uh, – whatchamacallit's uh, – and I only know this because I just put a set together for Michelle's dad. Uh, Pipple has wheels now. Mm-hmm. And their wheels are designed rather closely to – or similar to – the incision setup like they have the style where the hub actually bolts onto the truck and then you have a built-in center cap so it covers the center you know um nut that mounts it the uh, and you know it's the same kind of style and it's like six bolts in the back that actually hold the b-lock together and then you use the the slw hub of style screws to hold to hold it to the rig so which is pretty much how Incision runs their stuff. So, you know, it, it's kind of like what their what they call their B quality is is what your main quality is at some of these other companies. Which, you know, so that tells you it's you know good stuff. Yeah, um, another another area that I was going to touch base on, and I don't know, it's like I don't know. I'm trying to think of the right way to say this because I don't want to sound. Like I really do. I don't want to sound like I'm bashing. I don't want to sound like whatever. But another thing where I call knockoff or ripoff, and it's another area that I've seen is like stuff like – and it really comes down to like I don't know why Vanquish is the one that always gets quote-unquote ripped off. Like you know, like why that's the company that everybody kind of like – takes ideas from is yeah. beyond you know beyond well, me i mean I get it. awesome looking stuff i mean that that's you know it's but, kind of the creme de la creme of what you can buy for a scale rig but i'm just gonna have, i'm just gonna have to say it vanquish came out with that you know their unique style servo horn or servo arm yeah and then all of a sudden after uh reefs rc started becoming you know gaining some traction uh, I noticed they released a servo horn, and it's a spinning image of the Vanquish one. Yeah, and like their servo armor too. In the servo armor, yes, yes, yes. That's another one. I forgot about that. The servo armor. I and... get the servo armor though, because they're filling a void in the market. Because Vanquish doesn't make it anymore. So for the you know for that reason, more power to them. You know. Yeah, but what I'm getting at is okay. If you're gonna, I mean, like I'm not kidding. Hold both of those together. Oh yeah. You you go, I don't know which one's, you know, different. Unless you didn't, you know, obviously you didn't see the engraving for Vanquish. But, you know, it's like, okay, if you're going to come up with the same thing, like I get it, there's more than one way to skin a cat, but can you kind of make it more your own instead of like, 
this is a flat out copy and then try to portray like hey I came up with this I designed this myself and it's like no you didn't yeah exactly and that's you know and I get it like the guy with the trans we haven't talked about the transmission guy yet have we no oh so you know same type of thing it's like you know I I think competition is a healthy thing and that breeds competition breeds innovation and innovation breeds better quality and more innovative and unique products for us so the consumer at the end of the line with all of this ends up getting better stuff as a result of companies trying to outdo each other and stuff and i I do feel like it's wrong to just flat out do the exact same thing um you know same design and everything but if you're gonna take and improve upon that more power to you and that's the thing people are always gonna copy something it's just it's the world we live in look at automotive manufacturers and the features that come with cars like bluetooth and stuff there was a company that was the first to have bluetooth connectivity in a car but you don't hear them crying about what everybody else has it now they all copied us you know it's just how it is you know and as a result of that everybody is stepping up their game these manufacturers and the consumer ends up with a more awesome product in the end of it so I, I think that's healthy, and the way to survive being copied, really, is to just do it bigger and better than everybody else is, and I think that's why Vanquish continues to do well and expand, is because they still are doing it bigger and better than all these other companies that are trying to copy what they're doing. So, for the for the guy, and I'll address the guy's name and everything when we go through the comments and stuff about the generic and knockoff stuff, but... You know, like just keep your head up and do it in bigger and bigger and better than everybody else. And you know that that's really all you can do. That that's just the way the world is today. You know, it's something that we're all gonna have to live with if you're in business. I've, you know, I've been copied before and whatever. You know, I didn't throw a fit about it or anything like that. It's just like okay, you know, I get it. And I'm in no way trying to say that, like, Vanquish is throwing a fit about it. It's not, you know, and I understand their frustration 100%, you know. But if you are going to try and use the same idea that somebody else has, figure out ways to make it your own and make it bigger and better than the person that you're, you know, the brand that you're trying to pattern your product after. And if you're not even going to make it bigger and better, at least make it unique and different or stylize it to yourself like you know like like for instance there's, there's only so many you know there's only so many styles you can come out with like a trail like not like a trailing arm you know like there's only so many ways you can do it exactly but, but if you come out with this same exact thing and then try to like pound your chest and say i i spent 12 hours developing this and this is why this is superior to anything else out on the market and you're like homie it looks like this it looks like this brand that's already established that's already out there you can't say you spent all this time developing it when it's like looks identical you know right and i think that's the one area like that's what we're the message we're trying to get across it's like exactly you know and and it's in you already said it it's in the it's in the one-to-one world too um they have like you know there's multiple you know um companies out there and products that have straight up you know very similar 
um, you know, competitors. Yeah, pick up uh, a Les Schwab catalog and look at their wheels. You'll see the same style wheel with eight different names on it. Oh, exactly, because that's but but the one thing about that though is what I don't think people realize with especially the automotive industry, like when it comes down to tires and wheels, they're really is only two big companies running both of them. Everything else is all sister companies or, you know, somehow exactly, related, yeah. you know, because like, like, um, because I follow, because I'm kind of like a, you know, one to one, you know, enthusiast as well. I follow a couple of truck guys and uh, they said the same thing. They were actually, they did it as a test themselves because they heard a rumor and they didn't know how true it was. Uh, one guy ordered specialty forged wheels, and another one ordered a different brand forged wheels. And when they both showed up, when they looked behind, I think like the center cap or like one area, they both had the same exact manufacturer name in there. But one cost way different because you're paying for a name. Right. And if they can get away with that, if they have a name and a brand that's desirable then absolutely go for it. You know, if, if you think you can ask that much for it, then more power to you. You know, that that's capitalism and people care about that name on stuff. I think that's why you see a lot of builds where guys kind of went against like the theme or the purpose of what that truck was. And a good example is like throwing Method 105s on a UMG 10. Like it doesn't make sense. It's like not right. It wouldn't, you know, it's not something you'd see in the real world. And some people base those decisions on the fact that I can say I have VP wheels or this brand wheels, you know, they want to be able to be proud of that and brag about that. And, and that's cool. If that's your thing, then, you know, right on. You know, but um, yeah. there there is certain cases where, you know, like, for example, the UMG, I mean, there's not a lot of options for wheels that are scale enough and accurate enough to where they would be seen in real life on that rig. And one of the ones that you can get that actually would work good are from Alien Tech, which is on eBay and they sell knockoff and generic wheels both. And uh you know, that, that's, it, it fits the build. And so I don't think there's any kind of a moral issue necessarily with choosing something like that. And another good example is my, um, I had just sold it recently, but it was that orange Proline XJ bodied SCX Gen 2 that I had built. That was my class one. And that thing, I found some wheels on eBay that looked exactly like factory Jeep Cherokee wheels. And I was like, dude, awesome. They were like 40 bucks and I bought them and put it on it and it looked killer, you know, and it, it's because it fit the theme that I was going for with that rig, which was like a budget wheeler. Like what would a high school kid have that he would want to go wheeling? And it'd be, you know, factory wheels with like 33s on it or something, you know, and like a small lift and call it good, you know, and that was the look I was going for with that particular build, you know, and, uh, I, I don't think there's any kind of questionable moral decision there that that's made with that. You know, it's like people are going to buy what's going to fit their budget and also what's going to fit their build. You know, I mean, if you are building something and it's unique and stuff and a vanquish wheel isn't going to look right on that, don't don't feel bad about going a different direction. And there's lots of other companies with cool, affordable wheels, you know, like RC four wheel drive has a huge line of wheels and that even though their stuff is made overseas, it 
still is an American-owned company, and you shouldn't feel bad about doing business with them. Just because their stuff is made somewhere else, those sales still are feeding American families and stuff. And another one that's a good example is SSD. I've heard a lot of people call SSD a Chinese knockoff brand and stuff like that, and it's like that that's totally untrue. You know, they have their stuff sourced overseas, yes, but the owner of SSD is a former engineer from RC four-wheel drive. He had designed the uh, Trailfinder 2 and the uh, original Geland and stuff. And the guy, it, it's it's a straight-up legit RC company. And just because something isn't Vanquish and made in America doesn't mean it's a knockoff brand and it's garbage. Like the SSD stuff, the quality of their wheels and stuff are beautiful and they, they are affordable too, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of choices out there. You don't necessarily have to go with the most expensive one just because you don't want to be shamed by your buddies. There's, you know, it, it depends on your build and your budget. So, you know, luckily, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No. No, it's okay. I was going to say there's another company that we haven't even touched on, which I actually really am curious to see where they have their stuff made is RPP's, you know, um, their brand of wheels, Gearhead. I'm not a hundred percent sure where those are made. You know, they look really nice. I've never bought any of them because the, it seems like all of them have like a really deep offset. And that's, that's really the only reason why I've ever stayed away from running Gearhead wheels is it just wouldn't really look right on what i build yeah i've only ran one set and it was actually not even their aluminum set it was their delrin set oh okay so um and the and the offset's actually not that deep so i actually had to get bigger hubs and that is the only other thing that gets a little annoying is you know but it is kind of shows you why you know how there is a difference in the stuff like uh gearheads SLW or whatever you want to call them, their their hub is different than a Vanquish SLW. I didn't know that. Yeah, the spacing between all the bolts are different because oh. I was like, I was like, oh, let's see if this will work because I had some. I needed it to be a little wider, and I had a couple Vanquish ones that were a little wider. Yep, and the holes don't line up. It's almost like it's almost like if your your one to one truck has American or metric bolt pattern. Right. Exactly. Like they could both, they could both be an eight lug, but one could be a one eighty and one could be eight on six and a half. Yeah, and one cool thing too about SSD is they use the SLW, the standard, you know, uh, Vanquish pattern, so you can use Vanquish hubs on SSD wheels, which is really cool too. Yeah, and that's always cool when certain companies start, you know, implementing that because then you're able to use, you know, one thing for like almost like a universal kind of setup. Yeah, and, which is killer. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And what do I they call that? Is that called proprietary? Is that is that the word for that? Yep, proprietary when you're actually making it like everything towards like your stuff kind of, you know. Yeah. Like the Enduro, like using a lot of uh, parts that will work on the SCX-10 too and stuff. So that makes sense. Um, no, proprietary is when you're making it t- for yourself. Like meaning like, you know, Traxxas, Traxxas mm-hmm. is proprietary. Like ah, they make, okay. They make all their stuff for themselves. Uh, no, that's more like a universal. Like right, it's kind of okay. like it, 
it's got like a universal guideline. They all can, you know, work with each other. And I know I mentioned that, which is why I've always said it's kind of cool when companies do that is because, you know, it's really hard to find a company mainly because it's a pride thing and, you know, you're, the name of the game is to sell your products. But it is, you know, it is a, it is kind of like hard, uh, or I guess could be a hard pill to swallow for these companies to say, yeah, we're going to make our stuff, but we're going to use our competitors' hubs, so you have to go buy their hubs. You know, I get it. It can be a hard pill to swallow, or you could just look at it this way: say, "Hey, these hubs are already out there. The chances of somebody wanting to invest money on having a whole new set is probably slim to none. Let's just use what's already available." Yeah, it's super convenient, and I, I think it's actually like doing the public a service when they do stuff like that. I, I think that's a positive for the hobby. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, should we go through the questions and comments here? Yes, since we forgot to go through them all last week, no let's problem. do them. So Sean O'Reilly is a local guy here that uh, I met through racing, and once we built the Scalar Park at Die Hard, he got involved in the in it uh, a little bit more. He had a comp crawler prior, and he the Scale RC bug bit him. And so he he's dove into that. So Sean says, dang it, this is going to be a good discussion, but a hard one. Like bringing up something teething, something at church. I don't know what that word is, tithing. I don't know what tithing is. But anyways, don't get me wrong. I love paying an arm and a leg for the real thing. But if you're on a budget and you can only afford a knockoff, should you be shamed? If that's the case, can I be shamed for my chanquish wheels? I will say this much i'll say this much they work and perform like the real thing and before we get too far into it i'd like to say the following how many of you have bought a tool from harbor freight because it's cheaper not pointing at anyone simply saying that i'm okay with knockoffs if they get the job done so sean i believe has um actually knockoff ssd wheels they look like the uh, ssd um assassin is is what they are so he he has knockoff wheels not necessarily chainquish knockoffs um Stephen Haywood replied to that Sean O'Reilly O'Reilly yes I agree I think wheels and tires are probably the most knocked off thing maybe it's due to their lower stress parts and easily produced I have some and they worked great I'm also using Amazon servo and shop at Harbor Freight so again that's budget you know it it's it do what you think's right and what you can afford. If it, it keeps you in the hobby and you're still buying parts and it may not. So let's say, you know, in Sean's case, he has knockoff SSD wheels. Okay. So SSD didn't get the money for him buying the real thing from them. However, because of that easily accessible part, he is still involved in the hobby, which means he's going to be purchasing other stuff, not necessarily SSD stuff, but he's going to be buying replacement axial parts and things like that from, you know, American companies. And so, you know, it, it, it's there's a lot of ways to look at this. There really is. And I don't know exactly if there's any one correct answer. And especially, you know, I don't think, you know, when we get to it, you'll see that there's a guy that's uh, makes the whole not buying knockoff thing a very strong moral stance that he has against it. And I don't think that that necessarily applies to everybody, you know, and you also have to look at it realistically. You can't be Captain America and beat your chest about, you know, buying American made and all this stuff when, you know, you're typing these comments on a phone that came from China and you're wearing, you know, 
some Nikes that were made overseas in a sweatshop. You know, it's like you can't you can't be diehard American and be using stuff because we live in a global economy. It like you're a straight up hypocrite if you do that. So, yeah, you know, get over it. Um, Brandon Caton says one of my favorite topics. Can't wait to listen in. All right, good. You can listen and tell us what you think, Brandon. And then Ty says, knockoffs are straight ripoffs. This was sent me today. Apparently, we're selling our truck. This is that there's only one of sitting on my desk. So it, it's like that Banggood or some outfit like that is trying to sell. Uh, they're trying to pass off the fact that they're selling um, Ty's one-of-a-kind 3D-printed Dakar rally truck. And uh, that's absolutely like to me that's just straight up fraud <laughs> you know like obviously you were not going to be buying that and uh the general public doesn't know that and they are definitely not getting Tekken's truck because there's only one of them so that is super super shady and i see those ads on facebook all the time and the best thing you guys can do is report those um i've seen a lot of traxxas uh, land rover defender ones that they show the defender in one or two pictures and they show the de- the traxxas in their uh in their video for the product and then you start flipping through it and it turns out that is not at all what you're actually getting. They're stealing Traxxas's pictures and trying to present it um, dishonestly that that is what you're buying for 79 bucks instead of 450. So watch those. Don't buy any of that. It's that's, that's bad news. Um, Yeah. So uh, this is a transmission guy. Christopher Schumann, pretty sour subject for us. The top transmission with the first synchronous rotating overdrive transmission, meaning no need to flip the axles or gears. I don't know if that's the first because um, I'm pretty sure Toyzuki had done theirs first, but that's neither here nor there when it when we get to the bottom of this. So, meaning no need to flip the axles or gears. Less than a year on the market, the bottom transmission was released by a customer. Didn't really hurt us, but I find it disrespectful. Here's my question. Why does the scale community support knockoffs? Um, we already talked about that. We kind of beat that one into the ground. Um, yep. My advice is just do it bigger and better. You know, I'm sorry that that happened to you, uh, but, you know, competition breeds innovation and... Uh, it appears because of that now his stuff is being CNC machined instead of 3D printed. So, yes, you may have been copied, but it's forced you to step your game up, and now you're offering a superior product than the guy that copied you. So, Christopher, keep your head up right on. More power to you, dude. Um, the rest of it is just going back and forth, you know, so... Um, just between, I'm assuming, the guy that copied him. So uh, Alex Martinez says, the biggest knockoffs in the crawler industry are all the fake Vanquish wheels. Many people choose Chanquish over Vanquish because of price. What they didn't think or care about is the fact that Vanquish puts in time engineering and pay for the proper licensing to put name brand one-to-one wheel names on their designs. They pay Americans to machine wheels cut out of American sourced high-strength build aluminum. So in my opinion, if you buy Chanquish wheels, have you no respect for your fellow Americans and no respect for America? I will still trail with a guy that chooses scrap metal over the real thing. Yeah. Um... I think that's being a little extreme. Uh, All of of what he said fact-wise is correct. So Alex did address that. Um, Yes, everything he said is completely true about with Vanquish. Um, Yeah, I I don't think that you can 
take that and make the leap that you have no respect for America or Americans if you don't buy Vanquish wheels. Um, I think that's taken a little far and kind of honestly borderline being silly. Um, Art Eastridge commented, what about when a company like Vanquish outsources at least part of the production of their kit to places like Taiwan and still charges an arm and a leg? That type of stuff causes me to lose faith in an American-made company and seek cheaper options. They're all aware... They are all aware that as soon as they hand production to an overseas entity, they're putting their intellectual property at risk. Um, Not necessarily. Uh, One of the things that happens is some of these manufacturers over in China and whatnot will actually have someone buy some Vanquish wheels for them or they will buy them personally and then copy them uh, after that. So um, just because you make the decision to have your stuff made overseas, that doesn't mean that you're freely opening yourself up to be copied that's really not necessarily the case um, because there's a lot of ways that you can get around that uh so yeah so the thing is though with i I think that's a little extreme you know art i like you you're a good guy um, from what i can tell from what we've talked about and everything um i think it's wrong to say that you're losing faith in a company like vanquish over having their stuff being outsourced. Um, I believe James had told me 80% of that kit is made in America. That technically qualifies them in the eyes of the law as being able to say that that is indeed made in America because a certain percentage of parts are. Uh, Jim and Steve and the crew at Vanquish decided to be 100% transparent about where they have their stuff made. They're not trying to hide anything. They're not trying to pull a fast one over on anyone. Um, the aluminum stuff they're having made here, the injection molded plastic pieces and stuff like that. Injection molding is incredibly expensive. There's not a lot of options for it to be done here in the United States. And so they source that out overseas. And honestly, if I was them, I would do the same thing. If SOR decide we're going to start producing a kit, then I, I would absolutely do like Axial and RC four-wheel drive and everybody else does and have it sourced somewhere else. You know, you're, you're in the business to make money obviously you know um, and we are capitalists here and i don't you know there's there's nothing wrong with that plus we live in a global economy now you know like we we do business with countries hand in hand and made in america nowadays doesn't always necessarily mean that it's the best you know some people feel very patriotic and strongly about it and if they do yeah go for it buy all the stuff that's made in america but that doesn't mean that you can shame other people for their financial decisions and their preferences when it comes to what they want to put on their rigs because ultimately they are still driving cars that are from American companies that employ the American people. So don't lose faith in an outfit like Vanquish just because of that. If you're happy with the quality of your SCX-10 being 100% made in Taiwan, you should have absolutely no problem with a Vanquish kit that is 80% made in America and 20% made in Taiwan. That That's uh, kind of a silly thing. Um, oh, excuse me. Sorry. Alex goes to say the VS-410 is not overpriced in any way, even if they have, have to outsource plastic and gears. Stud, stud-like housings, motor plates... Bearing plates and links are all made here. And 750 for a badass truck, there's literally bomb-proof maybe is pretty damn good to me. So then he kind of just goes on talking about whatever. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You know, I, and I've said it before. I, I think that Vanquish is 100% justified in the prices that they're asking for their stuff because it is 
incredible quality, and they have some really smart guys that are designing this stuff and making it. Um, Alex Martinez said uh, them talking about not outsourcing stuff, um, said a couple bad words, and, uh, you know, basically more, you know, if you don't buy American, you're, you know, you hate the United States and old people and your mean animals. So, um, really, I want to say everything kind of is just back and forth on what's ever been, what what's already been talked about. So, um, let me keep looking through here. I will read, uh, James's comment because I, I, I think that he absolutely deserves to be heard on this. Uh, Art Eastridge, we outsource mostly items we will never make in house. Majority of all that's plastics. Eventually some products will be a hundred percent overseas. Like all of our competition does. We do want full kit made overseas, freeze up our labor to work on newer projects and keep pushing forward, which absolutely that makes sense you know if you can get it done overseas so that you can catch up on wheels and make sure that a main and these other companies have you know vanquish wheels in stock that you know i mean everybody there's a lot of people that complain that vanquish never has parts in stock you know and it's because they're really caught between a rock and a hard place everybody wants this everything made in america out of them they're trying their best to do that, but something's got to give. There's only so much time in the day. There's only so much money to buy more equipment and hire more employees. And, um, you know, if, if they decide to have their kits made overseas, it's still going to be their design, their specifications and made out of the materials that they designate to the manufacturer. So I think that's a good move because then, like he said, that frees them up to create more awesome products for you guys and keep the stock levels up so that they can keep up with customer customer demand because, you know, a lot of people want the stuff and it's not in stock right now. And part of that is because they're trying to make everybody happy by keeping it in-house. So they're in a really difficult position. And, you know, I, I think that um, – I, I think that – I, I definitely wouldn't want to be them, you know, in this, in, in the position they're in right now with the hobby and faced with some of the decisions that they need to make and everything, because it's really difficult. But I, I think they're doing a really good job and everything that they're doing absolutely makes sense. Um, he says, still not sure where you see the pro kit is overpriced. We do have to mark up our product to make a profit. We're in the business of making a profit. Other kits are full plastic for very cheap, $299 up to $399. We sell ours for $749. We spec stronger materials, which cost more for raw materials and more to machine them. We do extra, others don't. Laser cut bodies, interiors, and wheel wells, for example, raises the cost. Stronger plastics adds to the cost, which I will say this. They're plastic bumpers off the VS410 Pro. I have those on my two uh, Element Enduros. They are badass. Like, that is a very good plastic material that they're using. Um, proper beadlocks, steel drive shafts. Not sure what to compare it against to really compare. From what I've seen, it's been like a zero failure rate of the VS410 Pro kits. People drive them and beat on them, and they continue to keep going. Can you break it? Well, yeah, anything can break. But from what I've seen, it's the most scale, durable, and capable competitive truck on the market. And, you know, I, I read that just because, like I said, I, I feel that James needs to be heard with uh, 
you know, he needs to have some sort of a voice in this uh, conversation, even though he's not here, um, because this is something that directly does have to uh, do with him. And, you know, I think that it's we can't really have this discussion without being fair and presenting his point of view with uh, with what we're talking about. So that's really the end of the the questions and comments about it. It, it was a lot less questions and just more comments slash um, slight bickering a little bit, but that kind of covers all of that. You know, is there anything you want to add to all that? No, I mean like that. I mean, like I said, everything's in black and white on on that thread, and we're not going to delete it. So if they still want to get in there and you know. <clears throat> comment or have their you know two cents or continue their bickering then you know so be it um the only thing because like i don't know like it's one thing that i want to address out of our comment section i mean i'm i'd like to say i'm about as patriotic as anybody else you know yeah. i love this country i say that you know we have a lot of opportunity in this country um to sit there and say oh because you choose not to buy vanquish you're un-American is I think a little bit a far stretch you know that's kind of over the top (laughs) like that's just a little like it is it's a little over the top Um, and it doesn't help somebody's argument because when you say something like that immediately people are just going to discount everything you said and be like whatever dude like that that's just way too out there so you kind of shot yourself in the foot when you say something like that when you're trying to have an intelligent discussion about this yeah, and that and that's all. I mean, like I said, if if you want if if that's the argument you want to make, I mean, that's fine, but I'm just saying I don't see it, you know, it's really going to come down to, you know, personal preference, personal budget and all that. I mean, um I mean, I can relate to that with um, you know, my real truck slash, you know, my tools of the trade. Um, of course, I'm going to buy, you know, something that's better, stronger, last longer get the job done because at the end of the day these are all like investments you are investing money into these parts and nobody wants to have bad investments nobody wants parts to break nobody wants tools to break nobody wants you know their vehicle to break they want it to last so yeah you know they're going to want to pay you know what they want to pay to keep those items going or they're going to make that initial investment and bank on it's going to allow them to do that so you know it it also kind of comes back to something i said back when i first got into this um you know i discovered a company called well a buddy showed me them but it was called asia tees and they had a lot of blingy anodized parts because back when i first got into this back in like 2012 2013 it wasn't about being super scale, you know, surprisingly. It was about being blingy, you know. People wanted to see the the SCX10 Jeep with the red anodized knuckles and red right. anodized lockouts. Like that just for some reason that just was like, ooh, you know, like it was something about the coloring. Yeah. Yeah. That was it was popular back then. Um so companies like Asia Tees, you know, that have a, a cheaper product um, that's still anodized, it's a it's a way for them to compete and grab some sort of attention from the people who can't afford the bigger name companies with the anodized stuff. Because actually, if you really think about it, and it's funny now that I now that I'm even thinking about it, when I first got into this, Vanquish used to offer 
a lot of their stuff in blingy colors. Like you used to be able to get yeah. a stage one, you used to be able to get a stage one kit in like orange, red, blue. Yeah. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> now it's like raw, gunmetal gray and black. Which it's I like, love. I think that's great. Oh no, I think it's great too because now it's it's you know they they started marketing to what's actually, um, what's actually selling. Yeah, you know? and plus it's realistic colors too. You know exactly, exactly. So, you know, and and I think the blingy colors are a little bit of a thing of the past. You know, I don't think they're moving as well. But what I was getting at was, you know, I spent the money on on that because in my mind I was sitting there going, Oh, I really don't want to spend a lot of money on this. You know? Oh yeah. It's, it's probably, it's all got to be the same. Right. And that's where you start learning. You know, sometimes you get what you pay for. And yeah. I had things break. I'm not bashing on the company. I'm just saying I had things break. So I kind of was like, well, I spent less money buying that, but now that it's broken and I want to replace it, I'm not going to replace it with what broke just because that's just me. That's just, you know, natural, you know, instinct, you know, you're right. not going to, you're not going to just keep replacing it with the same part. I mean, unless you got the best, baddest part ever and you break it and you know, you just, that's all you could replace it with. I'm going to go with the next company. Well, now it ends up costing you twice as much because you could have just spent that initial high sticker price and be done. Yeah, exactly. The, the whole buy one, buy once, cry once thing. Exactly. So that's that's the only thing I would like to add. Um, other than that, I think we kind of covered everything. Yeah, th you know, I, I I think there's one thing that I kind of want to like, uh, one final note that I kind of want to end on, and that that's the fact that okay, I I'm all for people being patriotic. I get it, and like anything, when it's in extremes, it's not good you know it's like when somebody becomes fanatical or radical then you know they're it, you you need to be kind of centered and halfway in the middle you know to really understand things and there, here's something to think about when you're on the soapbox screaming about buy america and stuff you know it's like some of these guys you know like just for the hell of it i've looked and like you know these guys crying american made a look and they drive like a toyota tundra you know, and so you bring that up and it's like, well, dude, you know, hold on. You drive a Toyota Tundra and you're sitting here talking about, well, it's made in America. Yeah, it's made in America. And yeah, it's employing American citizens, you know, and feeding American families. But Toyota in Japan is the one that's getting rich. That's that's where the money goes in the end, you know. So really, I mean, can you sit there and cry American made? when it's a foreign entity that owns the rig that you bought anyways, you know? And and that's just it. Is that a bad thing? I don't think it is. Um, you know, it's Toyota's having stuff made here, just like American companies like uh, RC4 Wheel Drive are having stuff made over there, you know? It, we live in a global economy, and all these countries are importing and exporting and working together. And... That's something we need to think about with the RC world is we are lucky because a majority of the brands that we drive are American companies, you know, um, like yep. I, and that that end result is it's still American mouths being fed at the end of the day, regardless of whether a foreign company is having their stuff made here or a company here is having stuff made in a foreign country.
So really, is it a bad thing one way or the other? No, it comes down to your, your own beliefs, what you want to support. And you can't really tell other people that it's wrong because that, that's not the case. You know, it's the world is a lot bigger now than it was in the past, even, you know, in our parents' time. And things are different now. And with a global economy, you're going to see stuff like this. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because at the end of the day, no matter what you end up buying for your scale RC car, you are still creating fun and putting RC cars in the hands of people and it's bringing people together, creating new friendships, creating memories for families, uh, giving kids something healthy to do instead of sitting behind a television playing Xbox, you know, it's getting them outside. So really at the end of the day, nothing but positives comes from anything that you buy relating to the hobby if it's getting everybody involved and bringing people together and they're enjoying the hobby, then you know what? That's what we need to really not lose sight of, in my opinion. So that that's that's really all I had that I wanted to close on. Okay. I was going to say, I think that sums it up. I guess, like, the main uh, thing to say is uh, you do you, boo-boo. <laughs> that's so fun. I was just thinking you do you when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways... Um, Everybody, thanks again for listening. Um, it's kind of a longer episode. I really hope that you guys enjoy it. Try and be cool to each other if you're posting comments and stuff like that. Try and keep the language uh, civil because, you know, like I, I do have like friends and customers that are, you know, kids and they're 14 year olds and stuff that are reading this. And I'd rather not have like F bombs dropped all over our page and stuff like that. So just everybody be cool to each other, respect each other, and uh, go out and have fun. And uh, that's it until next time. Yep. We'll see you next week.